Hello, dead people. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. Paul's message to the Colossians is that they died and were raised with Christ. And this should produce some dramatic changes, to say the least. Yesterday, we began studying Colossians chapter 3. And the first thing we noticed is that the apostle told them to set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Or as Jim has put it, be heavenly focused. There are two more distinctives that should also be birthmarks, as it were, of the people of God. Here's Jim. The visitor who comes to grace should sense that we are possessors of hidden fortunes. Hidden. For you are dead, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, not was, not will be, is our life. When Christ, who is our life, will be revealed, then we also will be revealed or manifest with him in glory. People should sense, if they come to our church, that we have a magnificent future. We are looking forward to some incredible things that God has promised to do for us individually, personally, and for us as a body of believers, and for the world that he has created. That word hidden means that you can't see it. <laughs> yeah. You, you can't see all there is to see of me right now. Matter of fact, the most significant things about me you can't see. And I'm not just talking about the fact that there are things in my heart, but I'm talking about the fact that they are things that are mine that are right now treasured or resourced or hidden with God. In other words, the visit this morning should be deeply impressed that we're not beating each other up over money. That frankly, our Heavenly Father has more money than we could ever need for anything He wants us to do. The visitor should be impressed that we are not gouging each other putting guilt trips on each other. Our Heavenly Father, through His Spirit, has all the gifts and abilities and capacities we will ever need to do everything that we ever are called upon to do to serve and honor Him. But that word hidden, 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 um, as you travel around this week, you will probably find some of these. You've been raking a lot of them, I'm sure. We were impressed as we came north that uh, the trees up here are just about bare. And uh, if you went out and looked at my lawn, you'd see that I have some tasks awaiting me this week. Now, think with me for a moment. This leaf is dead. It's disconnected from the tree. Does that mean that the tree is dead? 
No. Not by a long shot. Several years ago, I wanted to remove a tree in our backyard because I wanted to preserve this special tree from which this leaf came. It's an oak, and it was at that time about as high as, oh, maybe here. But behind it, to the south, and blocking its portion of the sun, was a huge, I think it's an ash tree, I'm not sure. And there were two hickories. I transplanted the two hickories to another part in the yard because they were smaller, but this, this ash tree was growing much, much faster than the little oak, and the little oak was actually bending away, you know, bending away from it because it was being robbed of the sun resources, and I wanted to change that. So I decided that I would destroy the larger ash tree. So I cut off the limbs. <laughs> Now remember, I'm from West Virginia, so give me some slack here. <laughs> I, I cut off the limbs, and I thought, there, that'll do it. You think that did it? No, I didn't kill the tree. So I stripped the bark. I, I, I took a path about this wide and went all the way around the tree and stripped the bark off. I thought, there, that'll do it. You think that did it? No, that didn't do it. My father, who was visiting at that time, took a drill out and drilled holes through it and poured in some salt water and there we thought that'll do it. Think that did it? No, that didn't do it. Why? Why? Why didn't that work? Well, because you see, the life of the tree is in the root system and that's hidden. And all that you see in the tree, including the leaves which come and go, all that you see in the tree above the ground is a manifestation of the life that's in the tree, but that life is hidden in the roots. Pretty soon, pretty soon the tree will be covered with ice and snow. You know that, don't you? Yeah, you know that. And the tree will be stark naked. Does that mean it's dead? No. No, well, what's happening? Well, down in the root system, the life, energy, and force of that tree is being protected through the winter. Now, think about that. That means that as a Christian, my roots, my roots, now, I know this is plastic. Okay, okay, you don't you tell me that. But our roots are hidden. You can't see the roots. And all the foliage up here that you see is a manifestation of the roots. And whatever the life is in the roots, it's going to be expressed here. This is an oak leaf. It expresses the life force of an oak. But the life of the oak is hidden down in the roots. Farmers in Iowa used to tell me, Pastor, if you want to grow a good crop of corn, you don't go out every morning and jerk on the corn stalks and try to make them get taller. So what you do is you nurture the roots. You take away any other plant that's going to absorb nutrients. You fertilize. You make sure there's water. You take care of the roots, and the roots will take care of the stalk. And the roots will express through the stock both leaves and fruit in terms of corn. Okay? 
Now, you should sense this morning that if you're here with us, that we are rooted in hidden fortunes or resources. And just as the plant shows its life in the form and function of its upper visible part, what is hidden down here is evident out here. So we who have our roots in God have a public persona in this world. And, and that's what he goes on to say. He says, now listen, when Christ who is, our, who is our life will appear, then you'll see all that we really are. Until that time, our life and its sources, its resources are all hidden with God. So it's safe, it's secure. None of that, it's adequate and it's abundant. And it's mediated to us by the person and power of the Holy Spirit. So, so no matter where we are, no matter what the external circumstances are, to put it another way, the plant is in no way dependent upon the outward environment for its survival. Its survival comes because its roots, and as long as the roots are nourished, the plant's going to do fine. And as long as we protect and draw upon our resources and our roots, then our lives are going to be just fine. And whether sickness comes or whether uh, difficulty comes or whatever comes, it really doesn't matter because our lives are not dependent upon external, immediate, earthly, earthbound, limited resources. Got that? Got that? Say amen. amen. Good. Now, think with me for a moment. Paul goes on to say, since our roots are in heaven, then we are to, in the earth, deal with how we allow ourselves to express ourselves in terms with some activities. He names some. And they're not nice things. They are dead wrong. They are things that incur God's wrath. God is not, uh, God is not favorable to a number of things that our society says are okay. Got that? Society doesn't dictate reality. And society doesn't dictate truth. God does. And we're warned in this passage that there's a day coming when the wrath of God is going to be visited upon those life expressions that are defiant against God and God's will. Now, we who are rooted in Jesus Christ, who have our roots, our home, our stability, our resources in heavenly places, we ought to, as the leaf, as the plant, reflect that life in our visible activities. Got it? So people should understand that as the, as the church of the living God, we are, first, heavenly focused. We are, secondly, resourced by hidden fortunes, both present and future. Now, the third and final thing is, they should be impressed as they see the foliage of our lives. They should be especially impressed with the way the foliage relates to other parts of the same body. And that's what verse 13 says. That is, they should be aware that we are a family of people 
and that we are holy. That's what it says there. Therefore, being holy and beloved, put on. It's the idea of getting dressed. It's the idea of choosing to wear a certain garment, a certain perfume, a certain cosmetic in order to make a proper and honest expression of who I really am to the world around me. And that's what he says. And he gives seven qualities. Look at them with me. Verse 13, as people who are members of God's family, the world around us should see these seven qualities in our action. And that's the number one evidence that God is real. We are the number one apology to the world that God is real. God exists. As he demonstrates his reality in and through our lives by equipping and helping and, and, and making us these kinds of people. What, what should they see about us? It says, verse 12, we are the elect of God. We have a special place in his plan and his love. We are holy and beloved. Tender mercies. That's not a macho term. Tender. It's one of the most difficult qualities to find among harsh, selfish, vindictive people. Tender. Tender. Secondly, they should be aware that we are kind, kind people. We take the time. We preface our words. We don't just say it because it's true. But we only say it if it's necessary, and then we find a way to say it that's gracious kind. Boy, there's a powerful magnet in kindness. Genuine, sincere kindness. Thirdly, it says that our visitor this morning should see in us a humility. What's humility? Humility is preferring somebody else. Please, you do it, and I'll help you. It's taking a view of myself with a servant's attitude and heart. It's doing what Jesus did. You know, Jesus, God the Son, took off his robes of glory, came down and became a man, became a carpenter, an itinerant preacher, became became crucified. Why? Because he humbled himself. He looked out there in the future and he saw me, he saw you, and rather than see us experience the wrath of God for our sins, he said, I'll take your place. And he put my need above his comfort. Meekness. There's a, there's a genuine quality of the Spirit of God. Meek. Long-suffering. 
bearing with one another. That word means we, we put up with. We, we tolerate. We, we accept each other. We, we don't build barriers. We build bridges among ourselves. And when one of us fails, our response is not getting. Our response is, oh, no, we're not going to let our adversary have him, her. We bear together. And then we, the text says we forgive one another. That word is grace, karmas. We grace each other. That means when you see us as Christians, as saved members of the family of God interacting, you will note that we are, we are wanting to resource each other. We, we, we want to serve in the nursery because we want that mom to have a break. We're, we're willing to interrupt our schedule and go visit someone who is sick and afflicted. The point of grace is that we are poised and committed to what's best for you. That's the point. Wouldn't you like to be part of that kind of group? Tender mercies, humility, kindness, meekness, gentleness. Is that the kind of impression you get of the church of Jesus Christ as you watch television? <laughs> We're going to get those people out there who are opposed to us. You're not taking away from us our rights. Oof. Ah. Come. Be a successful billionaire. Oh, come on. Come on. Jesus never promised that. I suppose you're like me this morning. You realize that this is describing something that I'm not consistent at. But if, if grace brethren could be what God wants it to be. This is what people would experience as they come and visit with us. Would you turn to him 590? 590. While you're turning, let me read the first several stanzas. The, the hymn writer has captured something of these three great points. We are heavenly focused. We have hidden resources. We are a holy family. God's created in us new hearts, new attitudes. And it's evident in the foliage of our lives. Listen. Loved with everlasting love. Led by grace, that love to know. Spirit breathing from above, thou hast taught me it is so. Oh, this full and perfect peace from his presence, all divine. See, hidden resources flowing out. In a love that cannot cease, I am his. I belong to God, and God is mine. He is my life. Heaven above is softer blue. Earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue Christless eyes have never seen. 
Birds in song his glory show, flowers with deeper beauties shine. Since I know, as now I know, I am his. He is my resource, and he is mine. Things that once were wild alarms cannot now disturb my rest. Closed in everlasting arms, pillowed on the loving breast. Oh, to lie forever here, doubt and care and self-resign, while he whispers in my ear, I'm his, and he is mine. See, people ought to see that. We are the people of God. And our relationship and contact with God affects all that we do, and all that we are, and how we behave. The last verse that I want you to sing, look at it. His forever, only his, who the Lord and me shall part. Ah, with what a rest of bliss Christ can fill the loving heart. Heaven and earth may fade and flee. Firstborn light in gloom decline. But while God and I shall be, I am his and he is mine. Thank you, Father, for this uh, old English way of saying that our relationship with you is real, dynamic, and that out of it flows the resources needed for us to live out your life in this world. Help us to become a people of God who are known for tender mercies, for kindness, for humility, for gentleness, meekness, who bear with one another and accept each other as Christ has accepted us, and who then are poised to grace each other with your love and your life. I pray this morning for that one who's taking back with them to their apartment, to their home, this huge burden they brought. Wish they wouldn't do that. Pray that they would uh, open their need to someone yet while they're here. And make us, Father, your people. In Jesus' name I pray. All God's people said, Amen. now go be that way. It was Epaphras, not Paul, that founded the church in Colossae. Nevertheless, the apostle wanted to give that church some of the spiritual insights he'd received. And that wisdom has flowed down to us. Our complete study in the rather short letter to the Colossians has the same name as this opening sermon, The People of God. You can have the individual message or the whole series on CD. The single recording is yours for a gift of $7 or more. And the 17 sermons in the collection can be yours for a donation of $59 or more. Again, the title is The People of God. Your gifts and prayers are the fuel that keeps this lamp burning. At Right Start, we ask God to bless those who aren't waiting for someone else to do something. They want to know what they can do. We're very much aware that there's a great group of folks standing with us, not behind us, but with us. Thank you, family. If you'd like to be a part of this, please mail us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085 USA, or call 1-800-984-2313. That's 800 984 2313. 
And find us on the web at rightstartradio.org. You can donate securely online. You can listen to radio shows, play, or even download complete sermons. We'll get you started on subscribing to the daily Right Start podcast available on iTunes. You can email us and more at rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. In Colossians 3, Paul gave us that beautiful list of attributes of godly character. If there's any one thing more important on that list than the others, it's forgiveness. So let's give that some more thought on tomorrow's Right Start. Right Start.